0: Dr. Crawford Laritz joins us from Roswell, Georgia with more doctorate degrees than, well, than a doctor. When asked if he had any loving words to say about his family, he shared this thought about his son who preached last night. How can somebody be so smart and so dumb at the same time? Dr. Crawford has possibly written more books than the Apostle Paul. When asked why, he simply said,
1: I did it because I could. I did it because I wanted to. Look at me.
0: When asked if he would like to speak at Saturated this year, he commented.
1: you got to be kidding me, honey. You can't be serious.
0: When asked what has changed your life in all aspects, down to the very bones of who you are, Dr. Crawford responded. I think it's a Neil Diamond song. We asked Dr. Crawford, what would be the very first thing you would do if you were stranded on a deserted island?
1: I'm going to sell the refrigerator and the stove. Not necessary. Keep the microwave because that's my lifeline.
0: We asked Dr. Crawford, how is your marriage doing? He responded,
1: what possibly could be wrong? Can you imagine somebody getting rid of all of this?
0: Visiting us from the not-so-far land of Georgia, who hopefully won't make as many Georgia jokes as another pastor on our staff, please welcome Pastor Crawford Loritz. (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, thank you, please be seated, please be seated, now your pastor's a piece of work, man, I tell you, Joby, that was not good, (laughs) Uh, yeah, serious introduction, huh, now, let me get something straight now. Most of those doctorates are honorary. I would have been in school until I was 107 and a half, so, you know. But uh, it is a treat to be here with you. I talked to my oldest son this morning. Uh, uh, as I was driving to the airport in Atlanta. He said he just had a great, great time. And by the way, you need to know Brian is our, is our, our firstborn, and uh, he was born on my birthday. We share a birthday. And uh, I've not celebrated a birthday in 46 years. <laughs> You know what that idiot does every day, every, every year. Uh, seriously, he does it. Every, February 11th is his birthday. Every year, he'll, he'll call me and say, okay, Dad, what are you going to do for me on my birthday? Yeah. <laughs> He's the gift that keeps on taking. Uh, <laughs> I, I am just thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be here. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up about the vision of this. Um, You know, in church life, sometimes we don't pause long enough to focus on the fact that we need to sit in the presence of God. And uh, the old camp meeting idea, now y'all too young for that, I'm dating myself, but the old revival camp meeting idea, it's 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 a great idea. There needs to be seasons in our lives where we push back and we focus on our relationship with God, and really, he does want us to be saturated in his presence, and uh, so this is, this, is a, this is a good thing. Well, I bring you greetings from my wife, Karen. It is true, we've been married 48 years. She's the joy of my life, and uh, amen. And uh, we have 11 grandchildren, that is true, and I tell our kids unashamedly, your only reason for existence is transportation for my grandkids. <laughs> That's right. You know, and uh, they, we, have a, we have a three-day rule whenever our grown kids come to visit us. See, grown folks bring a lot of drama. And uh, when they come to visit us, three-day rule. Now, the grandkids, they can say as long as they want to, but, you know, <laughs> their parents, we tell them, you say three, day, three days, if God could raise Jesus in three days, you can get out of my house in three days. That's <laughs> <So> <a laughs> I started to say I'm kidding, but there's an element of truth <laughs> that dear, so... I wrestled a little bit in prayer about what to share this evening, and uh, there are a number of things that ricocheted off my heart and mind, but there's a text of Scripture that I just could not get out of my mind, and I really believe that it's uh, something that the Lord wants us to hear tonight, and I want to talk about this evening recapturing our first love. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's found in Revelation chapter 2. But before we get going, let's just bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, and we thank you for your power. We thank you for what you've done in our lives and what you continue to do in our lives. You have been so, so, so good to us. Forgive us, Lord God, for our selfishness and uh, at times a bit of an entitlement mindset, Lord, I pray that you'll take us to where we need to be. Father, you know I'm acutely aware of the fact that nobody needs to hear Crawford's miscellaneous ramblings about nothing. Uh, No one needs to hear my opinions. No one needs to hear my thoughts. But God, we can't make it without a word from heaven. We need a word from God. So Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. I pray that you'll edit out everything that I say that doesn't honor and glorify you. Reach out and grab us by the lapels of our souls and pull us close this evening. Speak, Lord Jesus. And I do pray particularly for those who are here whose shoulders are slumped, uh, spirits are sagging, and maybe they've been beaten up by the world. I pray that the living Christ would recapture their hearts, that the presence of Jesus would be sweet on one hand, but like a refining fire on another. Lord God, do a work, we pray. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sometimes in the Bible, when God wants to get our attention, uh, he will often use the imagery of marriage. And often when he wants to talk about our lack of faithfulness, he will use some shocking, searing terms such as Israel going, and I'll use the old King James words, a whoring after other gods. That unfaithfulness to God is a very serious matter. So the question comes, how do we maintain that faithfulness? I'm going someplace with this. Let me tell you how I met my wife. Karen and I met when we were both in undergraduate school. And uh, in fact, I met her... Uh, the beginning of my sophomore year in college I had broken up with my high school sweetheart well the truth of the matter is girlfriend kicked me to the curb and as you saw in the video can you imagine somebody getting rid of all of this is <laughs> actually I can yeah <laughs> so uh, and this is a true story I came back on campus and I got down on my knees and I was in my dorm room this was the this was like you know, the first day back, and I was on my knees praying, and I said, God, no more women. They mess you up every time, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm hurting, and I need time to heal here, and I'm not going to be distracted or deterred this semester, just you and me, Jesus, and <laughs> I'm going to stay focused on my relationship with God and not, not going to date anyone or anything like that. I'm just going to be focused, Lord, and people who know me know that once my mind is made up, I can be fairly focused, and so I got up off my knees, and I'm filled with this deep-seated, stalwart, single-minded, not-to-be-distracted, not-to-be-deterred commitment to Jesus. I'm going to stay focused. I'm not going to go out with anyone I need time to heal. So I'm walking down the street to the main administration building, going over in my heart and mind this deep-seated, stalwart, single-minded commitment to Jesus. And I'm going to stay focused and just rehearsing this thing. You know how we do so I get to the doors in the main administration building, and they pull them open, and there at the top of the stairs were these two brown legs. <laughs> and I said, Lord, what have we here? <laughs> I was healed instantly. I, I, it was a miracle. <laughs> and... Uh, those legs belong to now my wife, Karen, and she was new on campus, and my mama taught me to be hospitable to strangers, <laughs> and so I said, I'm Crawford Loritz, and uh, um, what's your name? She told me, I said, well, you know, I'm your official tour guide, and i uh, been showing around now for 48 years, so actually, she's been showing me around, um, but here's what I've learned. I'm going someplace with this, and I know that we have singles here, but bear with me for a moment. Uh, great marriages are not kept together by feelings of love. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Great relationships are not kept together by feelings of love. They're kept together by a commitment to love. And this is part of the problem with our culture today is that we're thinking with our feelings. That's the reason why our relationships are so fragile. And so it is with our walk with God. marriages deteriorate based upon a fourfold cycle and it parallels what can happen in our walk in relationship with God first it begins with passion you're in love luv baby you know that's it we're in the, i don't know how we're going to live but that's all right we're in love and the passion is all there then you say i do and realize that you did and uh, you're a kissy face and this kind of thing. Then you discover that somebody's got to go to work around here, or else we're going to be homeless. <laughs> so you you got to show up, you function, and this kind of thing. And so your your passion is there, but the realities of life take place. And you you f- you forgot to say I love you when you walk out the door. You didn't call exactly when you said you were supposed to call. You forgot about a certain... And in all these things, life happened, and the passion can, can, if you're not careful, can erode into a little bit of the second phase, and that's neglect. You didn't mean to do it. and Unless there's a little bit of adjustment and reordering of the priorities and making sure that you follow through on these things and you're prioritizing a relationship, if you're not careful if you're not careful, those little neglects, if you will, can become habit patterns. And so you've gone from passion to neglect, little unresolved conflicts. Someone in a relationship is conflict-diverse. You're not dealing with the issues. And now you get to a pretty serious place, and that's when the rela- uh, boredom sets in. You're going from passion, neglect, to boredom. There's not the same buzz that you have with one another. When she walks into the room, you no longer turn your head. In fact, the truth be told, you kind of sort of figure out ways to not necessarily be around each other alone anymore because it's just a bunch of little stuff that is built up. Uh, no testimonies now. Uh, stuff is built up, and unless there is major intervention at this point, you know what? As a pastor, I see this, and your pastor probably say the same thing. I see this as a pastor. Sometimes the the, the drift in the relationship, when you autopsy it, it's not it's not one big major thing. The little piranhas of neglect has cannibalized the relationship. So you've gone from passion, neglect, boredom, and now the fourth phase is departure. You may not literally leave the relationship, but the fire's gone out. You know how to function. You know how to put on pretenses around other people. You know how to act. But the truth of the matter is, intimacy has been flushed down the toilet a long time ago. And so it is often in our walk in relationship with God unless there's enormous intentionality in terms of stoking the fires of the relationship intimacy with God is not a natural thing the fires of love in terms of our relationship with the savior doesn't naturally occur our proneness to wander is not something that just took place before we were believers There is something in us that chooses to drift. There's no such thing as neutrality in terms of our walk in relationship with God. Now, I know this sounds crazy because we live in a culture and a society where we, as I said, we think with our feelings. But love... And passion and commitment is wrapped in one word, discipline, to sustain it. And the subtlety of the enemy is to move in to our hearts and lives and cause us to cling to other good things about the Christian life and to make that our primary passion and Jesus gets lost. And that's exactly what this letter to the church at Ephesus is all about. John is on the Isle of Patmos and uh, um, he's exiled there. He has this incredible vision. God tells him, pick up your pen, John. John. I want to dictate some letters. And he dictates seven letters to seven different churches. Now, it's interesting, five of the seven letters follow the same basic template. What do you mean by that? Well, if you read them, you just read those letters, you'll find five of the seven follow the same basic template. That that is that he commends the church for something, he condemns them for something, and then he corrects them. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I I really believe the letter to the church at Ephesus has the church of Jesus Christ in the Western world, particularly in the United States, especially here in the Southeast, all over it. All over it. Now, I want the text to be put up on the screen here, but Revelation chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 5. Listen to these words. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now, as you read the floor of this text, there's a little bit of confliction that ought to hit you. You find him commending the church. And by the way, his, his commendation is not disingenuous. He, he's given the church a standing ovation. Now, my research indicates that the church in Ephesus was not some big, large church like this is in the church I pastor, this kind of thing. It, 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 it was probably a series of, of very small house churches dotted around Ephesus. It is perhaps maybe. 10 12 15 people huddled together in these small little gatherings and there was an elder there an elder would stand up and perhaps he got this letter he got this letter from jesus and he stands up in the church of oh, my put yourself uh in the place of the people who are sitting in this house church i'm sitting next to karen and 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 the elders reads reads this this message from the mouth of the master himself stunning and listen to what he says and I'm kind of like kitten Karen and saying we ain't doing too bad he says in verse 2 I know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Now, put a pin in that and just stop right there. When you read that commendation, you say to yourself, what could be wrong? What could be wrong? I want you to notice that Jesus commends them for at least these two things. If you look at the verbs there, he commends them, number one, for right behavior. You folks are squeaky clean. He doesn't bust them for any protracted immorality that's taking place in the church or greed that's taking place in the church or folks that are having these relational meltdowns and bit out of shape or or, or any any of that stuff. He said you're you're enduring? You're putting up with stuff? You're hanging in there? Wonderful. (laughs) So he commends them for right behavior. The second thing that he commends them for is for right beliefs. There's a little line, I think the uh, New American Standard Version puts it this way, you have put to test those who call themselves apostles and are not. That's a not so subtle inference to the idea that you've got a right framework of biblical belief in doctrine and teaching and you're holding to that. Nobody's believing squirrely stuff in the church here. Nobody's going down the pathway of cults and all of this stuff. Now, you 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 think about that for a second. What could be wrong? I'm sure your pastor gets this, I get this, the pastor staff gets this, you know, people in the church where they relocate and this kind of thing, they'll say, Pastor, do you know of a, a great church over, you know, in, in the Denver area, or I'm going to move up to Chicago, or going out to LA, or what, what church? Immediately, I, I'm thinking of, well, I want to recommend a church where the people are not, you know, they, they're behaving like, like decently, and they believe in the right stuff. And mind you, Jesus is commending them for that. Huh. Right behavior and right beliefs does not equal right hearts, though. Listen to this line. Now, you've got to feel this. When you read your Bible, read it in its emotional context. You're sitting there, and you're listening to this message from Jesus. And then the elder reads this next line. My, my. Five words. But I, Jesus, have this against you. you really don't want Jesus to have something against you. (laughs) And you're thinking, hold up, man. You just told me I'm behaving right, believing right. Well, what else is there? Isn't that the essence of Christianity? Overcoming my issues? Believing the right stuff? what what do you mean? Jesus says, I've got a problem with you. And it's not inconsequential. It's subtle. At first, it's imperceptive. But nevertheless, it is a big, 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 big problem I have with you. I've got this against you. Now, lazy preachers have butchered this next line. I don't know how many times I've heard young preachers or so stand up and not pay attention to the words in the text. Because Jesus says, he does not say, you have lost your first love. That's not what the text says. The problem that he has is they didn't lose their first love. All right. The English Standard Version says you have abandoned. I, I prefer you have left, not lost. You have left, not lost. You have left, not lost. Leaving something implies distraction. And I want to suggest to you, although the text doesn't say this, I want to suggest to you that 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 just just the movement of the passage here, there is uh, uh, please forgive this expression. There is an ellipsis here. What is that? In other words, what Jesus is is, is saying here? You you have traded something for something that is important. You 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 you've, you've walked away from it. In other words, you have replaced my love with right behavior and right beliefs. I'm commending you for that but you have left your first love you left it you got distracted that's the reason why you can sit in every small group in the church you can go to every Bible study in the church you can volunteer for stuff and still feel empty Because the process has become the destination. And we fall more in love with the stuff that we do for Jesus than we do for, than than we do Jesus himself. We forget the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is a person. And he says, "You, you somehow got distracted. A number of years ago, I was. Uh, this was when they were doing these promise keepers events, stadium events. I was speaking at a lot of those things, and uh, my wife and I was on staff with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at the time, now called Crew. And I was also given leadership to this uh, pilot project in Atlanta. It was an evangelistic television special, and so we had Christian leaders coming in from all over the country. And it happened to be on this Friday that um, we're having a meeting Friday morning, and I was leaving from my office to go right to the airport to speak at one of these stadium events and give the gospel that evening to about fifty thousand men in this stadium. So I was really excited about what was going on that day and everything. And so uh, um, I got up that morning and I was running a little late. I'm going to tell you a little, probably more information about me than you need to know. I. uh, I'm a little obsessive-compulsive about time. I'm very seldom late for anything. So a guy like me, when I'm running late, you know, that ain't a good thing. I mean, I'm just having a little bit of a hissy fit about this thing. And so I'm running late, and for whatever reason. And so I, I, I'm leaving the house, and, uh, and I'm a creature of habit, too. Uh, I put things at a certain place every night so I don't forget it, my phone, my wallet, and money clip, and keys, and that, whatever. You don't need to know all that. Um, so, so uh, you know, just, I'm, I'm getting a car, and I know you've had this experience. I'm I back out of my driveway. I'm getting a car. I'm, I'm forgetting something. I'm forgetting something. I go to this checklist. I got this stuff for the. I got this stuff for the meeting. I got this stuff for the night. I got my bags. And got all this stuff. I get halfway to my office, and I remember, man, I left my wallet on the table. I knew exactly where it was. I knew exactly where it was. But hear me. In my desire, and nothing was evil that day, I was doing everything that would advance the kingdom. But I got distracted by the good stuff, and so I was driving without identification. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to them. No, 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 no. I'm glad, glad you're behaving right. Glad you're believing right. But you have made a switch. You made the manifestation, the essence. You think that because you're doing all these good things in the name of Jesus, that that's transformative? Seriously? And I wonder how many of us have gotten distracted. Glad you're going to the Bible study. Do that. Glad you're in your small group. Do that. Glad you volunteered. Do that. But you do know that's not the essence of your walk with God. And notice what he says in his statement of the problem. You have left, and then he says, your first love. First. That is not to be taken as the... um, the sequential term for first, do this and then this and then this and then this. It is the essence term for first. In other words, that which establishes all other priorities in your life. Uh, best thing to do this, and I don't mean to sound, you know, I, I, I love my wife to death. At this stage in my life, and I've got a lot of water on the bridge. I came perilously close, perilously close to burning out in the mid-90s. Perilously close. And I emerged from that time. Some guys got in my grill and I, I looked at my priorities and, and realized that I ain't married to nothing, including ministry. I'm just married to Jesus. I'm married to Karen. And my wife has veto rights over my life and schedule. She does. Veto rights. Now, she gives me, I have a lot of freedom, but I don't get it twisted. She's number one. And what Jesus is saying, I said, look at you. <laughs> look at you. He's you know, overcrowded schedule doing all this stuff in the name of Jesus and my name. And you're going to the meetings, that's great. You believe in God, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not essence in your life anymore. I'm not essence in your life anymore. You love this stuff more than you love me. Really? You have left your first and he says love. Now hang in it with me. The Greek word there is agape. Now, we, we, you know, in our desire, those of us preachers, in our desire to help people understand the difference between Greek words, we, we get a little, ble- sometimes I think we, we oversimplify things. So we say this, you know, three uh, uh, Greek words, in, you know, uh, that's translated love, eros, we get erotic from that, that's sensual love, phileo, familiar, uh, relational kind of love. And agape, and then we quickly say agape, agape is just God's unconditional love. so a whole, whole, slow your roll there. Uh, slow your roll. Trying to define agape, in fact, is almost, almost as, the, it is equivalent in my mind to trying to define holiness in God's glory. The finite human mind cannot begin to, begin to fathom the proactive purity of God. That's holiness. We, there's a disconnect. You, you, we don't have words. To describe the utter purity of God. Glory. How do you describe the manifest presence of God? And so it is with agape. How do you how do you articulate this pure love? Love that's uncontaminated. This 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 love. That caused God to move toward you. This love that ran you down. And he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. Read Acts chapter 19. In fact, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia has this article on Ephesus. Ephesus was a hellhole. All kinds of nasty stuff, and I don't even want to begin to describe what's going on there. these people, they ain't get saved from gated communities. They <laughs> say, "Well, look at, look at you, look at you, look at you. You you've left. you're first love. So he commends them for something. He's sitting there. I started out doing like this to Karen and said, hey, we ain't so bad. Now I'm kind of looking at my sandals. But then he, he condemns, he, he commends them Condemn in quotations, and now he corrects them. What are we supposed to do? Guilty as charged. What am I supposed to do? How do I keep? How do I keep my heart fresh? How, how, how do I? How do I stay out of this misalignment pull that I feel? What do I do? He, he, he says here, I love it, verse 5. He says, remember from where you have fallen, <laughs> repent and do the works you did at first. This is simple but liberating. You know, sometimes, for those of you who preach and teach, uh, take what the text gives you. Remember that good meat makes its own gravy. All right? You don't don't have to get fancy with it. Make it do what it do. That's Ray Charles' theology. Let it do what it do, okay? But the text says, here's the answer. He says, here's the answer. Here's the answer. He says, you need to do three things. You need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to redo. He says, first of all, I want you to remember. Remember, remember. Uh, I don't want to get too granular here, but the word, the Greek word remember here is a bit of a double entendre. It means both to rehearse as well as to recall. It means to recall as well as to rehearse. He says in so many words, I want you to remember, in other words, in other words, holy, stop, 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 time out, pull over. Don't keep going faster in the wrong direction thinking that you're going to end up at the right place. Stop, stop with the activities. Stop, stop, time out, time out. You're feeling your heart is cold. How come I don't sense that I'm close to the Lord? I'm, I'm dry in my walk with God. Well, maybe what you need to do is just get away. Take a day with the Lord. Get somebody to watch the kids. Get a journal and your Bible and a pen. Leave the cell phone in the car. Stop. Pull over. Look in the rearview mirror of your mind. Go back, way back, way back, way, 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 way back. Way, way back, way back. Before you knew the difference between Genesis and Habakkuk, or before you knew that the difference between the Gospels and the Epistles, and before you knew all of that stuff, before you had all the lexicon of Christianese, go back. Remember how you felt? And Jesus was saying to John, "Look, tell those people, remember how you felt. Remember when you went into the, those pagan temples and they were doing the nasty in there? You remember that? Remember the tears that were trickling down your cheeks because you, you, you didn't know, how God,, how, how, come, how come I can't be getting better? How come I'm, I'm so guilty. This weight is all over me. You remember that? You remember that? You remember you, you felt so low and so powerless? Do you remember that? Yeah, you don't do that anymore, huh? It's good for you. You remember that? Do you, you remember when you walked out of that place into the Agora, the marketplace? You saw this little dude there? in the marketplace and you froze and he was talking about this man Jesus who died on the cross in your place and for your sin and rose again on the third day and all you had to do was to turn from your sin and trust him as your savior and Lord and you froze there and the tears began trickling down your cheeks again because you said this is what I was born for you remember that? Remember that? Your right beliefs, and right behavior, did not say you. It was a person. It was a person. Remember that? I want you to recall. This story is all in this room and all on these other campuses. Stories. Stories of God's supernatural intervention in your life. He saved you. He snatched you. Some of you got saved coming into this place. He delivered you. You didn't know what joy was. The word also means to rehearse, though. Bring it forward. Listen to me. I'm too old to do recreational preaching. So here, 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 give me (laughs) this. Don't you ever get so cute in your walk with God that you're so mature that you forget to talk about the cross. Every day of our lives, we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves. It keeps us humble, and it keeps us holding on to the Jesus who saved us. And you rehearse it every single day, every single day. Gratitude for our salvation fuels our love for the Savior. Did you hear what I said? Gratitude for our salvation fuels our love for the Savior. And it gives us the proper passion mind through which we are discipled and we go to the Bible and we serve and we do all these things. No, because serving is not the end game, the Savior is. And that's why we love Him. And that's why we love Him. So we remember and we repent. The word repent means to change your mind. God I'm guilty I'm guilty and then he says I want you to do again the deeds you did at first years ago when I first studied the text I that that stumped me a a bit I said what what did he mean by that? Then it dawned on me he was talking about the fresh feelings around their conversion. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 13 and a half years old. And I can remember laying in bed at night with the Bible open on my chest.